Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the study of your word, we do so in the mighty name of Jesus, knowing that your word is not just intellectually learned, but spiritually perceived and discerned, we invite your precious Holy Spirit to manifest himself upon our ears with an anointing to hear, hearts to receive, our minds to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes us free. Change us by what we hear from glory to glory. Conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we might be shining lights in the world of darkness, holding forth the word of life to this, the generation that you've called us to reach. And Father, we believe we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that takes place in and through our lives, in thought, word, and in deed. In the precious name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. Amen. We're talking about the subject of prayer. Uh, I believe this is lesson four on the subject of prayer. And as a text, we used Ephesians chapter 6, and let's read verse 18 and see what it says once again. Notice praying sometimes. Oh, always. With all prayer, means there's different kinds of prayer, and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And from that text, we've discovered that there are different kinds of prayer. And those different kinds of prayers have different rules that govern the prayer. And so if we want to be effective in praying, then we need to follow the rules, just like we have to do in sports. But there's another verse I want to bring out. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 7. This is a wonderful text. Jesus preaching, Jesus teaching. Greatest teacher ever lived, amen? Whoever was, whoever is, whoever will be. If you abide in me, do you abide in him tonight? Sure you do. But now notice this. And my words abide in you. They're living in you. Then you will ask what you will. What a statement. And it shall be done unto you. What a powerful verse of scripture. Are you in Christ? Christ is in you, the hope of glory. But you know, Christ and the Word are one. You realize that? He is the Word, the Logos made flesh who dwelt among us. He and the Word are one. And so the more we get the Word into us, the more we have of Jesus in us. We have a revelation of who He is. But He wants His Word to abide in us. Why? So we can be established in His will. If we don't have His Word, we don't have His will. We don't know what His will is. And that's why too often what people do when they try to pray, they pray outside the realm of God's will. They have no clue, no idea. And many times they'll say, if it be thy will. In reality, we should first of all discover the will of God before we pray. Because the scripture says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know he hears you, whatever you ask, then you know you have the petition you desired of him. How do I know he heard me? Because I asked according to his will. If I ask according to his will... He hears me. If I don't ask according to his will, I don't know he heard me. So the important part is to do what? Get the word in me so I know his will. For example, he's not willing any person should perish. So then is it right for me to pray for the salvation of everyone? Absolutely, because he's not willing one person perish. 
He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's right to do that. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And don't forget any of His benefits. Who forgives all our iniquities. Is that His will? Who heals all our diseases. Is that His will? Who redeems our lives from destruction. Is that His will? Who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. And satisfies our mouth with good things. Our youth is renewed like the eagles. The fountain of youth is found in Psalm 103. It's not in some foreign land where some fountain is. It's Psalm 103. Praise God. He renews our youth like the eagles. So is that His will? Absolutely. So we could find out that He said that and say, Father, I hold Your will, Your word, which is Your will up before You. And I'm asking You to make it good on my behalf. That's praying effectively. So, in your notes there, notice 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're talking about the prayer of intercession tonight. The prayer of intercession, interceding, either for another, for a nation, whoever. 1 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, first of all, I exhort, first of all, supplications, notice prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice he talked about, first and foremost, as a priority, pray for those that are in leadership positions in your nation. Intercessions. And intercession actually just means to pray on the behalf of another. So when you intercede, you're praying on the behalf of another. We talked about the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith is a prayer that's to be prayed, we're told, without wavering. That's one of the rules. Remember first, or remember James, the first chapter? Let's pull it up there. Verse 5 through 7, 6 and, six and 7. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. This is the prayer of faith. It's prayed how? Nothing wavering. He that waves or wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall what? Receive. Not that God wouldn't give, but he won't receive what God gave anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's wavering, vacillating, double-minded, going back to and fro. So that's one of the rules that applies to the prayer of faith. Another one is found in Mark 11 and 24. He's got to believe he receives what he's asked for. This is the prayer of faith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and then you shall have them. So I've got to believe I've received them first. I like to say it like this, in their invisible form, and then it will manifest in the visible form. I've got to believe I receive something I don't see first, and then it will manifest or it will appear in the natural world that we live in. So we've got to believe first. That's the prayer of faith, and that's how the prayer of faith works. But then also, it's important to know this. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That means don't be anxious or don't worry or fret about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice that if I worry and I'm full of anxiety, I'm violating one of the rules. How's God going to answer my prayer if I'm violating the rule? The rule is don't worry, don't fret, don't have anxiety. And if you recall when Jesus taught on that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, 25 to 34... Take no thought for your life. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on, and so on. 
He said, if you have worry and anxiety about those things, he said this, O ye of little faith. So it's important that we follow the rules that apply to the certain types of prayers or praying. So if we're going to pray and ask God to do something for us and then worry about it, we're short-circuiting the power of God. He wants us to trust Him. And then intercession is prayer on the behalf of another. And we're going to look at that tonight. And basically it means that I'm praying for someone else other than myself. And I recognize the need for me to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that God can answer the prayer and do what he really wants to do in that person's life. But we're going to look at some scriptures first of all. Look at Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7. This is Jesus himself. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That come unto, unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You missed a good opportunity to shout right there. He is interceding for every one of us. He's making intercession for us. He is in the high priestly ministry right now at the Father's right hand, representing every single one of us to the Father on the throne. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes we think that when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that that was the end of all that he does. But that wasn't the end. He began then the high priestly ministry where he's ever living to intercede for everyone. So if I have a request and I go to the Father, in whose name do I go? I'm bold to go to the Father in the name of Jesus. And who's my representation? Jesus. So he's interceding for me. And through him, I reach the throne of God. Isn't that wonderful to know? As a matter of fact, we, we've looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2. If we had read on a little bit further, we'd have found out that it said there's only one man. One mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Only one mediator. What does that mean? There's only one way you can get to the Father. Through the name of Jesus. Through the person of Jesus. No other way. You can't pray to the Father in anyone else's name. Only the name of Jesus. And so what does that do to all these individuals that pray, whether it's Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius? I mean, it goes on and on. You can't get to the Father any other way. There's only one mediator. So when someone says, you're the man... You let him know, no, no, he's the man. He's the man. Only one, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Secondly, Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 26 and 27. Notice what Paul taught about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. You know we all have infirmities, weaknesses and abilities in us. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself or Himself maketh what? Intercession for us with what? Groanings which cannot be uttered. Keep that thought in your mind. With groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now these Two verses are powerful, powerful verses on the subject of intercession. And if you recall the Apostle Paul, who birthed many churches when he was here on this earth, founded them, established them, put in people to pastor them, etc., and be teachers within the church as God ordained. 
He made a statement in Galatians, I believe 4 and verse 19, if I'm not mistaken, where he said, my little children of whom I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Did you hear that? Of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's what he's talking about, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer who begins to groan or travail. He says he groans or travails. He's not articulating any particular kind of speech, but there's something in him that's, oh, just moving him on the inside to pray out. And it's the Holy Spirit that takes hold together with his spirit, in his spirit, and enables that whatever is coming out, it can be unintelligible. It doesn't matter. It's like groaning that's coming out. Oh, just a deep-seated thing inside your heart. Until Christ be formed in them. I can imagine Jesus at the rock in the garden. That's where his victory was won. At the cross. Because he won it at the garden. That's how he was able to get to the cross and through the cross. And in that place, he was sweating as if it were drops of blood. I'm sure there was groaning deep within his spirit. And for those that have really been sold out to intercession, here's what I hear from these individuals. It's almost as if whatever that person's going through, it comes on them. It becomes a part of them. And it just is an overwhelming sensation and feeling of what that person's going through. It could be a lost condition. And it's like they take it upon themselves. And then there's a groaning that takes place on the inside. And in some cases, you can't even articulate the speech. It's just a groaning, like a woman in travail. Have you ever been near a woman in travail? Don't let her grab your ring hand. I guarantee you, don't, don't let it happen. You know, and, and there's travail there, groaning from within to do what? To give birth, to bring forth life. And what we're doing is we're interceding to bring forth life so that God's will is established in someone else's life. If you could see it this way, it's like here you are standing in the middle between God and that person. One hand's on God, one hand's on the person. And you're the go-between. You're in the middle of that. And you're beginning to cry out to God from the depth of your soul for that person's life. And then God can move through you the highway that you make to reach that person in even a greater way than if you didn't do it. So you're making that highway through intercessory prayer. Look at uh, the book of Ezekiel. In chapter 22. Another important, important text on intercessory prayer. I sought for a man among them. That they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. That I should not destroy it. But I found none. I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. What's God doing? The Bible says his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are upright before him, right? So here he is. And this people group over here, what they've done is they violated his laws to, and they won't listen to reason. And they won't turn back to God. 
as a result, God says being a righteous judge, he's a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, right? But also a God of justice and judgment, is he not? And so now his wrath is about to be poured out upon that group of people. He doesn't want to do it, but he's got to because he's righteous and he's just because of their sin. So what does he do? He looks for a man. To do what did Ezekiel say? Stand in the gap and make up the hedge. So he wouldn't have to destroy the land. Okay? But he couldn't find anybody. Nobody would listen. Nobody would do it. And as a result, judgment had to fall upon the group. Recall the story of Jonah? Jonah? The prophet Jonah? Remember? He was told to go and preach to Nineveh. To be the one to go there. He didn't want to destroy Nineveh. But because Jonah wouldn't go, he was getting to the point where he may have had to. But Jonah finally got turned around and did the right thing. And when he did, then the mercy of God was shown. As a matter of fact, Jonah even said, I didn't want to go because I know you're merciful. And I know you would forgive them. And I didn't want them to be forgiven. What kind of a heart is that? He wanted the wrath of God to fall upon. I know you probably felt that way about some people. I know you probably have felt that way. You know, remember James and John said, can we call down fire from heaven for that group over there? <laughs> and what did Jesus say? You have no, ma no idea what manner of spirit you're of to think that way. But you see, even God, who because of his wrath, because of their sin, was about to destroy them, didn't want to. But what did he need? Why did he need someone on earth? And that's a long story in itself. It goes back to the fall of man. It goes back to a transfer of authority. And we see that Satan became the God of this world. And the only way God can intervene is if someone prays. Why? Because he's a God of justice and judgment. And that means he won't lie. It means he won't violate his own laws. So he needs someone to pray. Stand in the gap. Make up the hedge. And pray so he wouldn't destroy the land. But he had to. Look at Genesis and you'll see the same thing. Chapter 18. And this is God and Abraham. And Abraham is interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now look, he's talking to God. Remember, he's talking to God this way. Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city, wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee shall not the judge of all the earth do right. He's talking to God that way. Oh, and the Lord said, well, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Okay, now we're, doing, now we're cooking, right? Abraham answered and said, now he's a bargainer. Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Will thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. Hmm. He's doing pretty well. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty. Thirty be found there. 
And he said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, peradventure there shall be 20. He's a bargainer, I'm telling you. 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. He said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, hmm, there shall be found there and but, but 10. And he, but 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left, communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Now some have said he stopped too soon. He should have said, what about five? Or what about two? But here's the whole point. That is the nature of this kind of praying. This prayer of intercession. He doesn't want to destroy the city of Sodom, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants them to repent, but they're not going to repent. But what he does, Abraham intercedes. But you see, the scripture says, let us plead together, declare thou, saith the Lord, that thou mayest be justified. So in other words, as he pleads his case, just like lawyers do, defense prosecuting attorneys, he said, okay, if that's the case, there's, there's 50. We'll do it, but there's not 50. What about 45? Okay, 45, well, I'll agree to that, but there's not 45. And he just kept on going back and forth, back and forth. See, so there may be certain things that in that time of intercession that God also comes back with a, let's say, a statement that he has to make to clarify things. Beloved, we want God back in this nation. We want God moving in power in this nation once again. And that means it's going to take not a party, as I said, not a Republican, Democratic Party, not even independent. No human being can do it. It's going to take the hand of God to turn this nation back around. And it's up to us to do what? What he said. Humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from wicked ways. Why? So he can hear, forgive, and heal our land. And I believe there's churches all over America. Brother Chuck and I went this morning up to Pittsburgh uh, at Cornerstone Television, where we're on Faith Family Channel. Our program is on there. Um, we don't get it on Comcast, but you know what? Start declaring it because the, the leaders of Comcast... They're having listening ears because there's so many demands. And we need to get on there. And we believe, praise God, that God is touching their hearts and opening up their eyes that they can clearly see the need to listen to the voice of the people. So even if you, if you pay your, if, if you have that, pay, have Comcast pay a bill to Comcast, put a little notation in there. We want, because it'll ask you on, the, on that bill, what we, any programming that you would like, you put it on there. We want to see this broadcast. And it'll have some influence over the people's lives. So you can intercede on our behalf for that. But we're believing God for that. Because it's very impacting. And it's, it's grown. It's very impacting. We, and we heard today just all kinds of miracles taking place. And pe more than anything, people getting saved, delivered, and set free as a result of the broadcast. And so stand in the gap with us. and Make up the head with us. Exodus 32. One of my favorite, favorite sections of scripture. Oh my. You ready for this? This is just absolutely unthinkable when Moses interceded for the nation of Israel. If you recall the story, God's not happy with the nation. He's not happy with their, uh, their disobedience, their sinfulness, and the list goes on and on. Their lack of regard and respect for who he is and what he did for them. So this could almost be considered to be almost the epitome of his wrath and anger at this particular time. 
Okay? Look at verse 7. Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get thee down. He's up on the mountain. Getting the tablets of stone. For the Ten Commandments. Go get thee down for thy people. Your people? Moses, they're your people. Oh. Which you brought out of the land of Egypt. Really? Have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten calf and have worshipped it. Have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, how about this? Let me alone. Just leave me alone. That my wrath may wax hot against them. And that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. That means more kids for Moses. He wasn't going for that. That was God pouring out his wrath. He was venting, you could say, to Moses, right? So Moses, what does Moses say? You ready for it? And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against your people? Don't call them mine. They are your bunch. Which you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with a great power and a mighty hand. He could have just said, I was watching my father-in-law's sheep. You're the one that called me out of a burning bush and said, go get them out. They're not my people. They're your people. Right? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say... For a mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. He's talking to God. Wow. First he says repent of this evil against thy people. Then he says to remember. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Wow. Wow. Would you call that powerful? Wow. Imagine that. What gave Moses such boldness? His understanding of the covenant. You swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And why am I bringing this out? Because this is Moses standing in the gap and making up the hedge. He's got one hand on God. He's got one hand on the people. And there he is, bridging the gap, standing the gap, making up the hedge, making a highway so that God can move and bring these two back together again. So he intercedes on the behalf of the nation. And what does God do? He repents, changes his mind. He knows he has to honor his covenant. Beloved, there is no greater 
foundation for faith than to know what God swore by an oath to. Hebrews chapter 6 makes, makes this very clear. He swore by an oath to Abraham. Why? So that Abraham could know he could trust him. And he says he's more willing to show us the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. How? By two things. He swore by an oath and God can't lie. That you and I would have an anchor for our soul to know that if God says something and swore by it, he has to do it no matter what. Even if he wanted to, he was so angry at someone, he wanted to destroy them. If someone stood in the gap, make up the hedge, or someone found out what the word says, he would not be able to do it because he honors his covenant. He honors his word. So God, by an authoritative act, an indisputable fact, swore by an oath and said he wouldn't do it or said he would. And you can bank on it. You can believe. Because God's not going to lie. How many of you know what the reason is for the rainbow? What's the rainbow tell you when you see it in the sky? God made a promise that he would never what? Flood the earth ever again. Right? Absolutely. But then also there's a rainbow. In Revelation, another rainbow. Which represents the new covenant that we have with God. Where he looks through the colors of the rainbow. And what does he see? He sees all of us cleansed by the blood of his son Jesus Christ. And a part of his royal family. Wow. Isn't that good to know? So when he looks at you. He looks at you through eyes. That have been. Eyes that makes him see us cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sees us as his masterpiece. He sees us completely whole. Holy godly righteous people unreprovable before his sight all by the blood of jesus aren't you glad you're filtered through the blood of jesus christ he doesn't see you and all your faults and shortcomings and failures no so when you go there with the word praise god you're going to get his attention look at psalm 106 and verse 23 this is from the new living translation so he declared he would destroy them but Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people. He begged him to turn from his anger and not destroy them. And what happened? God didn't. God repented and changed his mind. So it's powerful when you realize we could actually go to the throne of God with an understanding of what he said, his covenant, his word, which represents his will. And we could take it to him and say, it's just not happening on the earth this way. So, Father, we're standing in the gap. We're making up the hedge. And that's what we do every Wednesday night as well. We do it all the time. But especially Wednesday nights, we gather together. We stand in the gap, make up the hedge for Israel, for our nation, for Israel, for the body of Christ, for the work that's here, reaching out to communities, and, and so on and so forth. So intercessory prayer is essential if you want to have the hand of God moving in a powerful way. You can do it for your family members. And as well, and bring them back to Christ. So when it comes to standing in the gap, if, if, for example, a family member walked away from the Lord, and maybe they're just going off and doing their own thing, does it mean that there's nothing that can be done? No, I believe that we can stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and believe that as we do, that God will move upon that person's heart and mind. Now, God, by His Spirit, is always wooing them back. We understand that. 
But I do believe that when he has someone or she has someone faithful to stand in the gap and make up the hitch every day and start declaring the word over that person's life, that he's going to send more labors of love around that person. He's going to manifest himself in a powerful way. Uh, you've heard me tell the story of, of um, Norval Hayes' daughter, Zona. And how when she went astray and walked away from God. I mean, he finally got to a place where instead of complaining and criticizing her for her departure from the, from the things of God, he put one hand on God, one hand on her, and he began to thank God for her deliverance. And it was so powerful what he was doing for her life that an angel of God appeared to her in her bedroom when she went to bed one night on dope, probably drunk and everything else. But when she looked up and saw the face of that angel of hers, her whole heart, her whole countenance changed and her heart turned back to God. You see, some things are out of our hands. And you can probably do all you possibly can in the natural to try to bring that person back. And it may not work. The most important thing is turn it over to God. Stand in the gap. Make up the hedge. Speak the word over that person's life and let God be God. Let God do what you and I can't do. Amen. Let him do it. So number one, what it does is makes a highway for God to move in that person's life. And then also, it builds a bridge that will help the person come back to God. That's exactly what happened to her. She gave her heart to Jesus. Uh, she rededicated her life. She went off to Bible school. She became involved in ministry. Can you imagine that? Going down the path of destruction and death. But she was turned around because her father cared enough for her to stand in the gap and make up the hedge wow powerful intercession so our part is to intercede in faith God's part is to pour out his spirit and send labors of love around them and to woo them back into the family of God now look at Luke's gospel chapter 22 because here we have something that Jesus did that is so essential to understand when it comes to praying for other people here we have a situation where Jesus knew what was going to take place. He knows about spiritual warfare. He knows what people are facing on the earth. He knows it's not just natural things, but there's supernatural powers behind all the natural things that take place. He knows there's spiritual wickedness in high places and evil spirits that are all around endeavoring to have their way with people in human lives. He knows that. Okay. So here's what he says to Peter. He says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan desires to have you. He's drooling to have you. He's determined. A better rendering of that verse is, He's determined to have you. Did you know the devil's determined to have all of us? Wants to bring destruction to all of our lives. He's determined to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, tear you apart to find out what's truly faith and what's not. Faith or fi fiction. Fictitious faith. You, you sound like you have faith that, Maybe sounds that way. But you don't really have it because when you back up, pushed up against the wall, you came unglued. So Satan's coming. Satan's coming, Peter. I'm telling you. He's going to come to sift you like wheat, Peter. But I have prayed for thee. What did you pray, Lord? That all the demons would be bound? No. I have prayed for you, Peter. Why? That your faith fail not. And you know that Peter's the one that said, resist the devil with your faith? I pray that your faith will not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. In other words, let other people know. If you're going to pray for somebody that's walking away, you pray that their faith not fail. You pray, praise God, 
that they'll have a consciousness that no matter what they're facing in life, their faith will enable them to overcome. We overcome the world how? By our faith. And so when we pray for these people that are on this list, we always pray that way. Father, I pray that their faith will not. But they will be powerful in faith, receiving all that you provided for them. Praise God. Now, Jesus interceded for Peter and that his faith fell not. So it's understandable that our faith can fail. But look at 1 Peter chapter 4, because Peter had a revelation of this now, obviously because of the teachings of Jesus. And here's what he says to us. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when he is, when his, glo- his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So it's not strange that we're going to be challenged by the devil or by the enemy. We know we're going to be challenged along the way. And he's going to try to destroy because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Peter's saying, hold fast in your faith. Look at uh, chapter 5. Or chap- I'm sorry, James first of all. Chapter 1. James had a revelation as well of this. And James understood the nature of temptation and the work of evil. And here's what he says. My brother, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our faith is always going to be tried. But it's not God who's trying our faith. In verse 12 and 13, he went on to say, Let no man say when he's tempted, tested, or tried, that he's tempted, tested, or tried of God. For God tempts no man with evil, neither tempted he any man. No, but a man is tempted when he's enticed. And who entices us? Satan will use our own feelings and emotions and lusts and all that to entice us to enter into sin, will he not? To why? Try our faith, to determine how, whether or not we're in faith. To sift us like he told Peter is wheat. Well, with that understanding, go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9. Here's what Peter said to the people that he's writing to. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast, steadfast in the faith, or in your faith, one translation says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in, the, in your brethren that are in the world. But notice he says he walks as a roaring lion, seeking whom he what? may, may devour. We need to start walking around saying, you may not devour me. You don't have my permission to devour me. Remember that game, Mother May I, Mother May I, Mother May I, that people used to play when you're young and growing up? Well, the answer is no. You may not. You may not. You may be a roaring lion, but you have no teeth in your mouth. You've been defeated by Jesus and you've been overcome as far as we're concerned, we're victorious over you. So you may not devour me. And so Peter says, resist in the faith. And beloved, when we see someone going through a fiery trial, one of our brothers, one of our sisters going down the wrong path, down the wrong way, it's important that we, number one, stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and pray that their faith fail not, but then also support that by praying in the Holy Ghost and continue praying for them, believing that it's easier for them, praise God, to rise up and use their faith to resist the forces of darkness. To kind of push away the, the darkness and dispel it from their lives. You know, uh, John Wesley said, it seems as though that God can't do anything for people unless they pray. And it's only when people will pray and seek His face that He's able to move in the earth and do the things He wants to do. 
So in other words, our prayer life is very important so that God can move and manifest himself in the way he wants to and do the things he wants to do in and through our lives. So intercession, standing in the gap, making up the hedge. You know somebody that's not walking with God? Then you know what? Put one hand on God, one hand on that person and just thank the Lord for bringing that person back like the prodigal son of old. Amen. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. and now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.